Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Boys, we've got a movie thing to talk about. We've got a restaurant thing and we've got a social media thing. So uh, in that, we are going to do what we always do uh, in that we're going to be all over the map on some of these topics. Um, People have been noticing your silence, Piper, on social media, which must mean you're a prominent person. Uh, So we'll get into that and other things right after this quick break. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. All right, boys, we're back. Uh, Pipe and Ron, you guys are, are both prominent figures, very prominent on social media, uh, <laughs> extremely pro- influencers, you know, um, people look to you, people look to you to comment whenever literally anything happens in the world, oh, baby. It's so difficult to be looked at like that all the time. You know, I know you hate it's, being looked at, you know, if there's one thing you hate, it's being looked it's being gazed at by people. Yeah. And, being objectified for your ideas. I just feel like a piece of social yeah. media meat. Oh, it just, yeah, it just, yeah, it just, uh, you know, it, it mars my soul. Oh, I know. Baby, I feel like you would enjoy being objectified a little bit more, you know, like (laughs) over here, everyone objectify me, you know, Um, but there's a new phenomenon pipe that you that you shared with me via text this morning. And I think it's really funny and I think it's really interesting. I want to pick it apart a little bit. It's the idea of people saying we notice your silence on social media when you're not commenting on some prominent issue or person some hot button issue and this strikes me as them basically saying i'm disappointed by my inability to like drag you down into the muck and mire with me uh which strikes me as the most 2022 thing and the most social media thing ever and uh it's full of despair for me so (laughs) talk about this a little bit piper how you deal with it and then i want to hear ron's response on it as well yeah, I it came up most recently this week because of my uh my lack of public commentary on whatever's going on with Matt Chandler. Um, you know, as Ronnie said before yeah. the show, we we have all the same non-information as everybody else. And sure. and so I just, you know, I I just haven't said anything about it. And um and I think I retweeted something by a person who sort of, they just made a good point about sort of if, if you don't have if you don't have the information and you're not part of it, maybe you don't say anything. And I immediately got a response from some account who I don't follow. I don't really know who it was. It was, you know, it was like, you know, we notice your silence on these issues. And and I, I had a handful of thoughts that ran through my mind. The first was that's very that's very judgmental, you know, just, yeah. just flat out, just really, I mean, which is, comes as no surprise. It's social media. I don't know what I was expecting. Sure. I just, yeah. the most, I guess I, sh- I should stop assuming that people are going to graciously interpret everything I do or do not say. <laughs> there um, you go. And then, uh, and then the lad- latter was like, if you notice my silence, that says a lot about how hard you're paying attention to me, which is weird. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe focus on you. Uh, yeah. That, and then the last piece was just the, what does it say about how, what our expectations are and the proper way to address anything controversial, anything moral, anything nuanced? I mean, is everybody says social media sucks and there's no nuance, but the expectation is still, this must be addressed on social media. So those <laughs> yeah. are kind of all pinging around in my head while I quietly clicked and muted that account and will no longer hear from that angry person. But, uh, 
so she'll really notice my silence now. Um, I will not notice hers. That so so I, yeah, I guess that that was kind of the array of thoughts. Was like you're very judgy. That comes as no surprise, and ranging to why is this the expectation? What this is odd. This is just the whole phenomenon is odd. The whole dynamic is odd. The whole like pinpointing people and being like, if this person doesn't speak out, they have failed society or something like that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't totally know what to make of it. Yeah. Ron, what do you make of it? I I feel like for me, whenever I notice someone's silence, I'm usually delighted by it. Like, wow, there's (laughs) one person not talking. I'm, I'm, I really admire this person more now, but uh, apparently on social media, that's not okay. Where you at? Well, you know, yeah, no, I'm with you on that big T. I, I, yeah. It's really interesting, right? Because when you, if you back up a little bit, you know, social media is it's in in a lot of like in a lot of ways, it's it's uh, you know, nobody has. I guess my philosophy about it would be that nobody has any moral obligation um, on social media in the sense that it can be whatever anybody wants it to be f- from a personal standpoint. Um, mm. it, you know, some guys that only like to tweet funny things um mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. great tweet funny stuff some guys that are really serious be serious some people that are political be political but i don't think that obligates anybody um to create a social media presence that then they're judged for if they don't um you know sort of you know kind of step up into this whatever this perceived standard is it doesn't make any sense like it can be whatever you prefer it to be so it i wouldn't even i, I wouldn't even phrase it that you're being silent on something it, it mm. can be whatever whatever you want your social media platform to be or or not be um there there's just no obligation there it's technically an amoral platform in that sense mm-hmm. um and so i it's it's weird that there's of course, because it's a thing, and this is how we exchange information in news now, there's particular expectations based on the kinds of things that people post. So, you know, something like this happens, and we're waiting to hear from the people that talk about the things that, like, are, are happening with Matt Chandler, for example. But I just mm-hmm. don't but, – but to go after someone like they did Pipe and say, you're being silent, it's like, Piper has no obligation to be any one thing ever on social media that he, that he doesn't want to be. There, there yeah. is no obligation or expectation there. There can't be, um, you know, the, the plat, you know, there's not a book in the Bible that says, and when you get on this platform, you know, this is what is required of you. So yeah. I just, it's just the whole premise of it. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Well, and it, and it seems to me that everyone just superimposes their own kind of moral framework over social media. Like well, everyone has to be like me. And if they're not, I'm going to destroy them. And it, and it is so issue specific because what we have in this instance is a prominent white evangelical pastor having done something, who knows exactly what, that crossed an appropriateness boundary, or at least that was what he apologized for with a woman. So, you, you know, this is, this is an issue we've seen before. And so mm-hmm. since I'm also a white evangelical pastor this is an issue i'm obliged to speak into there are other issues that if i responded to people would be like maybe you should sit this one out probably the same person (laughs) who told me they noticed my silence so there is this arbitrary set of rules about what i'm obliged to speak into and what i'm forbidden from speaking into and uh all it really makes me want to do is go watch football highlights and tweet jokes you know (laughs) Yeah, like here. Here's that's all I Kindle do. Deal. Minus the here's something jokes. that made me laugh, and and also uh, Barry <laughs> Sanders is still the best running back ever. You know, congratulations, Twitter. Yeah. This is my presence. I feel like it would be fun to be the maybe you should sit this one out guy. So whoever gets to be the sort of arbiter of who gets to talk and sit it out like that, that would be a fun job on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Except that, except that I think you would just go to everybody and be like. Uh, I didn't see any neck rolls in this post. You should sit this one out. Everyone should sit this one out. Yeah. (laughs) You're all crazy. Um, I don't know. I'm about to get us off on a tangent. I was reading in Revelation recently. I sent this whole show a tangent? I thought like... The whole show is a tangent. That's called called podcast, T. Yeah. There was something in Revelation that reminded me of social media and... Was it the there, dragon there was, trying to devour the woman? Yes, it was. It was. It was some <laughs> yes. imagery of of that sort. And I'm like, this reminds me of social media. Like, this is giving rise to like the worst aspects of 
literally everyone's character and maybe this is the thing that's going to like baby i think devour. maybe you should sit this one out i don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know the, I, I, I don't know that you should be going to revelation out. on this and and just yeah. desecrating scripture like you're doing right now i, I think it's oh wow i'm, I'm getting well actually by the, the small town pastor <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad you spoke up ronnie because i was noticing your silence there for a moment and uh <laughs> yeah, well, it was I was, yeah. I was smugly judging you from this. I mean, I felt phone. obligated as a uh, New Testament revelation scholar to, uh, you know, speak in <laughs> yeah, as so. an almost doctor, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Is your persona going to change when you become a doctor? Oh, it's going to be. It? Are we going to? It's going to be huge. It? It's yeah. gonna, I, I will not even I don't even know if I'll respond to you guys on the pod without you addressing me. <laughs> appropriately <laughs> if if you don't use the word epistemological at least twice a podcast after earning your doctorate what are you I mean, doing here i, I will notice you literally silence. don't know what that means and yeah you will have to refer to me as doc martin so that, Dude, that, i'm that gonna become be smug now as as the only like <laughs> professional academic on the podcast you have to become like 33 percent more a douche and if you don't like i'm gonna have concerns you know, like it's it's just it comes with it. So you, you won't I, survive long in that industry unless you do. Yeah, you've got to become obsessed with like idiotic little things that don't matter. That's part of it. Um, yeah, you've got to become even more enamored with your own image. I mean, it's it's going to be it comes with some requirements, you know, that I hope I hope Jared or somebody's like prepping you for this uh because it's 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 not just getting a doctorate it comes with all the other stuff dude so you know it's so funny so t this is like actually this is truth yeah. so jared will write me every once in a while and he'll be mm -hmm. like i hope i'm not getting him busted here but he'll be like yeah. dude i don't know how you would survive in academia he goes i'm i'm like in a meeting <laughs> right now and all i'm thinking is this ronnie cannot do this he will like he literally will at one point stand up and do something crazy or storm out like he cannot do this and i'm like any and i get these random <laughs> texts from him every once in a while where he's just like forewarning me against it yeah. and i'm like i don't Let's know man it. i i don't get it that i mean so you know something about that so i don't know you know that yeah. seems so validating though like it i don't know i think if i was in your <laughs> shoes and i heard that i'd be like oh oh good like this is because yeah. if he was like oh this you're gonna do so well i would feel kind of it would be like <laughs> it's so, almost a like, backhanded what has like, become insult. of me yeah. this yeah. well it's usually like it's usually around stuff that i think he thinks i care about and i don't necessarily care about some of this stuff like the way people might think like ronnie you know you might have to tuck in your shirt it's like dude i you know i i could do that 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 wouldn't be the that wouldn't be the deal breaker for me you know yeah, yeah. um so it needs I, a know. payday. Yeah, I can't be sure. You know, but no, it's yeah, it's big, the big paydays it's the, in academia from everything I've heard, especially <laughs> oh, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, I mean, we're with one of them, pipe. I mean, we're you know, we're with the big payday guy, obviously every week. So you tell well, us about yeah. it. Yeah, Ted, tenured professor Ted Clark, yeah, tenured professor, professor man, rolling Whoa. in that uh, rolling in that oh, rolling in that money. tenured professor money. You know, rolling in piles of money over here. Yeah, it's. Uh, quite a thing boys let's take a break uh and then we'll come back and we'll talk about a couple other things everyone wants to change the world capital ministries is doing just that one heart at a time by creating disciples of jesus christ among political leaders in the u.s and foreign nations for more than 25 years founder ralph drawlinger has written bible studies specifically for public servants study along with us and learn what the bible says about capitalism communism abortion same-sex marriage and other contemporary issues subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search capital ministries on your favorite podcast platform all right, boys, we're back. Um, Piper, you brought this up in the group chat, and I'm sometimes the topic itself is interesting, and sometimes to me, like the reason why you brought it up is interesting, and I want to know who you were with that prompted this. <laughs> you said, "Can we discuss the psyche of people who like to learn the names of the waitstaff at restaurants?" Um, I only have one example of this. And it's the movie Tommy Boy in the scene where he's uh, he's with Helen, the waitress. Yes. Helen, that's Helen, a nice name. You, you look like a Helen. You and I are both in sales. Um, Let me tell you why I suck as a salesman. <laughs> exactly. That's my only like live rep with this with the psyche. So I don't really? know a lot of people who do this. Oh, yeah, you don't hang I, out with enough like smarmy people. I, which is wait, funny because you're in academia. <laughs> 
I know. I thought I thought of one more, but I can't talk about it. It, <laughs> it, it would ruin a relationship that I need to maintain. But, uh, what what prompted this for you? Um, I'm trying to think if it was something. I don't know if it was a particular instance as much as just, I think it was, I saw a social media post from a friend who I've had for a long time and he's about my age and uh similar stage in life, similar aged kids, you know, so just a lot of, he, he works in, in a, he works for a Christian nonprofit. So a lot of similarities in what we have done, all that stuff. So he, he mm-hmm. seemed like a good sort of like uh bizarro uh, version of me in this way, because <laughs> yeah. Let me start out by saying, I I take uh, I take being polite polite to wait staff pretty seriously. Like they, yeah, they're human important. beings doing a job that yeah. really benefits me, and uh, they deserve uh, to be treated with dignity. That being yeah. said, I've never asked one their name ever. Um, yeah, and this this friend is the kind of person we used to get breakfast pretty regularly, and he would. Uh, he would always ask or if they introduced uh, themselves and he didn't catch it, he'd be like, I'm sorry, what did you say your name was? That kind of thing. And interesting. And, and he's your he, age. It's not like he's, you know, 61. Right. When an old guy does it, there's, there's sort of a like flirtatious charm to it, which, because yeah. of course they only do it with, uh, with the females. Like they, they the right. old guys are never like, I'm sorry, was your name Steve? They don't care. They're like, no sweet tea, please, Steve. Um, yeah. And they just sort of roll with it. But, <laughs> But then he, he, you know, he always addresses the waitstaff by name. So, you know, it's some, it's some like 19 year old college student chomping on her gum. And, yeah. you know, so he's like, Michaela, I'll have this and this and this. And I'm like, <laughs> that, I don't know. The whole thing always weirded me out. It just, it, it is weird. Not like yeah. morally, but just no. creepily. It, I think is kind yeah, of what it felt like. I don't understand the psyche of it. It's oddly familiar, you know, in that, like, in the course of regular day-to-day life, I mean, it's rare that anyone uses your first name. Like, even in our families, we don't use each other's first names. Like, we use nicknames or we just skip the whole thing altogether. But um, if Kristen, like, if KK uses my first name, I know I've done something bad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm... <laughs> Ted? Oh, no. <laughs> Ted, I, w- I want you to hear me on this, all right? Um, yeah, I can count on one hand the number of times she's done that. But... Uh, Baby, where are you at on this? Are you a first name guy with wait staff, or oh, gosh, do you know people no. who are? <laughs> I mean, it always feels um, demeaning to me when people do it. It, it yeah. always feels like they're trying to get control of a situation that is like, like, dude, what are you trying to control here? You know, this this man or this woman's going to you know serve us, bring us coffee, bring us breakfast, whatever it is. But it it, it to me it feels like two things. It always feels like. You're trying to let them know who's boss, which is the weirdest thing in the world to me. Mm. And number two, it, it's like this thing, it like where you are trying to look to the people that you're eating with, like like you're just a, a caring, kind-hearted right. man, of like individual. Yeah. yeah, and it happens a lot with pastors. We've talked about this before. The hey, is there anything we can pray for you, you about? You know, as we yeah. pray here. And again, nothing quote unquote like wrong with it, other than it just feels wrong. You know. And, uh, so I, it's just, it's always so uncomfortable to me because I feel like if I was in their position, they're just trying to do their job. And, and, and then I always wonder like, so dude, are you the guy then? So when you go get your oil changed, are you like, you know, Hey Bill, um, you know, (laughs) do do a great job on my automobile bill. You know, it's, I don't know. It it always just feels like a, it's a funny way of interacting with people and right. I'm not saying everybody's trying to gain control by it or there's some deeper psychological thing going on, but it, but it's just, it's an odd way to like go through life because you're right, T. I mean, yeah. to say somebody's first name in a way that's not either like kind of funny or, right. you know, there's like, there's times when it's appropriate to say, like, I just said sure. T, right? Yeah. Right. And it was just like, it was part of the way that we interact, but to yeah. do it in a way where there's not already a relationship there, it just feels odd to me. It or really does. You know, like with double, K, like when Melissa says, I don't know, Ronnie, you know, like, yeah, right, right. it's like, I'm looking at her going, are we like, is this a thing? Are we getting are we into okay? a thing right now? Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. No, dude, it's, it's funny. And I want to ask you this as a pastor, both of you. So to your earlier point, it seems like there's this obligation and maybe this is solely a pastor thing, or maybe it's like a, just an overall cheesy Christian guy thing to sort of 
That Venn diagram overlaps a lot. (laughs) Yeah. To to act like you care about everybody. You know what I mean? Whereas for for me, let's say, just for a regular person, I would say that, like, genuinely, I, I, I want good for everybody. You know what I mean? I don't walk into a restaurant going... I don't care about this wait staff. I don't care about the rest of these people. I hope bad things happen to them. I, I, ho- I hope good things happen to them. But at the same time, there's no obligation for me to, to indicate that I care deeply about Michaela or even that I'm remotely interested in praying for her before the meal. You know what I mean? There's no such obligation. But I think for pastors, there's this sense of, I've got to show you that I'm a regular person like you, and then I've got to, I've got to go one better and show that I, in this moment, I do care about you where I feel no such obligation is, am I, am I like in the ballpark on that one? Yeah, I think, yeah, I I think so. I think there, I think there's a a certain sort of mindset amongst a selection of pastors where they feel like they're, they're pastoring everybody they come across. Um, and you know, so for example, on, on Sunday mornings at church, I meet a new person. I work really hard to learn their name so that if I run yeah. across them again in church, I can greet them by name. And there's a sense of like, you, you, you are, you're welcome here. You're part of this because, because that's the context that I'm responsible for. These are people yeah. who in this, in this orbit, I have, I have care for responsibility for, et cetera. Uh, not so at, you know, Applebee's like, I don't, yeah. I don't have any responsibility for the Applebee's employees other than as a fellow human. And, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of pastors are like, this is my flock or everybody's a mm. potential part of my flock. And my, I guess the way that I approach it is I'm like, what I would love is to treat a waitstaff well, to tip well and to leave. And if at some point down the road, they somehow through six degrees of separation discovered that I was a pastor, they'd be like, huh. Wouldn't necessarily have guessed that, but he was a nice guy. Like, mm-hmm. and no, no complaints. And just like yeah. that, that, that would be the, I would be so satisfied with that. Be like, huh, okay, cool. But the, yeah, yeah the, the psyche among certain pastors that like, I have to win this person in this interaction about scrambled eggs and bacon. And I'm like, <laughs> it, that's, you're, you're overdoing it. You're, yeah. you are missing the point of how this interaction goes. Yeah, because sometimes it just happens now. Like uh, that happens naturally uh, all the time, right? Like you're just you're you're kind of you're you have a a table with a bunch of dudes. You get a guy coming in, and you know you start joking around a little bit, and then a natural conversation just arises. But it's not it's not done the way that you're describing it, pipe. Which is just like Mm -hmm. I feel this moral or spiritual or pastoral obligation to uh, to engage with this guy in a way that's going to make him like super uncomfortable but but yeah i mean you can get to know if you go you know if you're a dude that's going to the same restaurant you know twice a week meeting with people yeah you're probably going to get to know the wait staff for sure i'll have the pancakes in the age of enlightenment baby (laughs) (laughs) hang on voltaire um but yeah I i i think the best thing that i always feel like the best thing i can do for michaela in that moment is be as quick and efficient as possible and as not annoying as possible. And if I'm fast, I can allow her to do something else or take a break or not have to stand there and banter with me. So everybody wins. Yeah. The, I mean, what a, what a, they're there to do a job. They're not there to be your friend. And if they do want to be your friend, they show it, you know, like, like Ronnie said, like sometimes there's, there's particular white staff who they, they love to banter. And honestly, I generally find that annoying. I'm like, I'm here to eat. I'm not here to make friends <laughs> yeah. with you. I don't want to chit-chat. Uh-huh. I want you to very efficiently take my order and refill my coffee and whatever else. And I promise I will compensate you well for this. That's the agreement very, that we have. You very do your Barnard, job. Barnabas Piper of you. Just feed me. <laughs> well, Just, it's, a, it's a business transaction. I don't need to like win right. friends and influence people in this interaction. There's, this, is, this is not a deal-making scenario. Yeah, not to be that guy, but don't you feel like, and you would have to take a sort of thousand foot view of this that we don't have, I guess. But like, I think social media has turned so many seemingly simple interactions on their head in the sense that, you know, people are more connected than ever. People are more achingly lonely than ever. People don't necessarily know how to be with each other in 
uh, a kind of analog face-to-face environment. I, I, I just think a lot of things that we used to take for granted vis-a-vis social interactions have sort of, you know, been uh, made complicated again. You know what I mean? And the the whole I notice your silence thing is a part of it, right? So I think people who spend a lot of their lives on social media are so aware of doing the wrong thing in a relational setting that can help but bleed over into like our real life kind of analog environments in ways that make them weird. Um, and I think I see that huh. on campus and, you know, otherwise. Yeah, I guess uh, I, 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 and then there's the flip side of that where like everything goes viral. So if you're especially awful to somebody, somebody's going to get it on yeah. video. Or if you like, People will video themselves leaving a huge tip and then video the waiter's reaction, which feels equally as Ugh. like well, that should be a whole separate pod. Like viral kindness yeah. is a whole thing I would love to talk with you guys about. But yeah, there's a yeah. it does create a different sort of pressure on an interaction that ought to just be innately human, innately kind and innately like we're both just doing our jobs here. Yeah, innately low stakes, right? Yeah. It should be easy. It should be a thing that neither party really has to think about that much. Yeah, like, um, you shouldn't... And we need those. They, you, there is no requirement to be memorable to a wait staff. Yeah. In fact, if, In you're, fact, if you're not memorable, yeah, you're, you're probably doing it right, you know? Yeah, if everybody uh, leaves satisfied, this went well. Yeah, and you're not... Con- it's not... You know, it's so funny because these guys, you know, wait staffs go through a lot. I mean, honestly, it's it's like I mean they're they're enduring a lot. They're enduring a lot of weird comments, a lot of um, you know critical comments. So to even just be somebody that is going to treat them kind, not and get you know almost like thinking, hey, I don't know what it is you're going through today, but that's actually a bit of a your job. You have a hard job, and you're de- you're dealing with people all day. You're dealing largely with unhappy people with your service all day, and even just to give that a little space would ju- that would be kind hearted in and of itself, right? Yeah. Have you guys Speaking ever of- have you guys ever done the thing? I've been with somebody who did this and it was it was one of the most awkward situations. So obviously there's people who like to call the manager out to complain. Then there are people who like to call the manager out to compliment an employee. Oh, have you oh. ever been with somebody who's done that? No. No. It's uh, I'm I'm thinking. I don't think I have. If I, I have, remember. that was maybe the last time I... <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to eat with that person again for fear of this happening. I have been with somebody who did that, where they're like, can, you know, so they, they, the waiter or waitress, I don't remember, comes up and they're like, can you get your manager? And the person, you know, they just look like they're crestfallen. Yeah. They're petrified. Yeah. And the yeah. waiter, the manager comes out and there's, there's sort of like this big crap-eating grin on the person I'm eating with face. And they're like, <laughs> we just wanted to say that... Steve here has done just a wonderful job tonight. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm sure the manager's like, that's great. Also, I was working. Like, we're trying to get payroll yeah. done. <laughs> Dude, that's alone. so about the performance of the person who's orchestrating. 100%. Right? Yeah, that's they're a generational a little, thing, too, baby, I think, too. Yeah, yeah, they're directing a little movie starring them. They become like Ridley Scott in that moment. <laughs> and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to. Uh, pull together some elements here and I'm going to be the star. Oh, and yeah. I can't Michael imagine Bay anyone. the thing up. I can't imagine anybody like under the age of sixty-five doing that either. Doesn't it? Doesn't it just? It just That'd be seems funny like if one a young the... guy did it, though, wouldn't it? It'd be hilarious. Some young little Ponzi hipster does it at like uh, I don't know at allergy or whatever the whatever the hip you know like dining place is. Allergy. The whole place is just all gluten and peanuts. Dude, that's my that's my restaurant idea. Dude, I forgot about that. You talked about that years ago, man. How's that coming? How are plans for allergy coming along, baby? It's it's going to make millions. It's huge. I'm still (laughs) I'm still fleshing some things out. But no, you go in, you write down a list of your allergies, and they curate like a special. And they basically serve you nothing. (laughs) You you get a plate of nothing. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to make millions with that. I'm going to be a restaurateur. Um, Boys, speaking of things that don't matter uh and that are already largely forgotten we're gonna take a break and i want to come back and talk about our book a little bit once in a generation a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all this show will entertain you while you wait for that one 
Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com. All right, we're back. Um, boys, how do you how do you sense that our book is doing out there in the marketplace? Oh, boy. Um, all I know is that we've been exchanging emails with the same PR company for like two and a half weeks about one podcast interview that still hasn't happened yet, to my knowledge. Um, has that podcast interview happened? Have either of you guys done it? No. Well, I, I did the... So they, they sent one, and it was one that both of you guys were like, I think somebody else should probably take this. I did that one, and it it went fine, and it was sort of vaguely about our book and mostly about yeah. like doubt and deconstruction. It was a good interview. Sure. But yeah, I, did, I yeah. haven't even responded to those other emails because I'm like, I this is the busiest stretch of life for me, and... yeah. I, I indicated two, I that I would do it. Co-hosts who can very adequately talk, so y'all take yeah. this one. <laughs> I indicated that I could do it, and then that's the last I heard about it. So <laughs> the the publicity machine is just roaring, roaring ahead on do, our book. Do you think? Do you think that we're not getting as many publicity responses because people are like they're podcast hosts? Like, it, yeah, there, there's it, it's you know if if we if we had written this as cultural commentators or as academics or as whatever like would there be more pr because it's cultural you know it's cultural commentary in print kind of thing as opposed to like these are podcast guys who did a book that's a good question and i definitely want to find a reason that isn't no one cares about our book so this is good (laughs) i want to i want to land on one that isn't just uh another thing that i've done as a massive failure um ron what do you think I don't know. It's a really great question. I, I, yeah. I just wonder if the nature of the book, it's obviously for our, for our tribe in, you know, whatever Christian booksellers association, whatever all that stuff is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's not a lot of books like it coming out for sure. I mean, we can just say that, you know, that it's not like we're, we're not, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not pumping it up by saying that it's just kind of a factual thing. And so I always wonder if it's one of those kind of books that nobody really knows what to do with it and the book speaks for itself in such a way that there's there's not a lot to talk you know unless like what they did with you pipe where they unpack one of the things a little further that we addressed but yeah. I, I don't know what what is there to say about you know what it, what is there to say about something that says everything about what it is by just virtue of reading it you know it, mm. it's there's not a lot of mystery to the book right it, it kind of just says yeah. what it says and yeah. so and, and then i think categorically it's because we're in such a narrow tribe and, you know, everybody needs things to fall into, to, you know, the, the few particular categories that we have for things. And this just doesn't, you know, it's yeah. a category unto its own. I don't know that anybody would even know what to do with it. And if they like it, they're fans. And if they're more on the, on the influencer side of things, maybe yeah. they just roll their eyes. Like uh, who yeah. cares? You know, it just, yeah. does, how, how does this help? In other words, if it's a book that doesn't meet a felt need other than to not take yourself a little seriously and have a good laugh in it, mm-hmm. you know, on a Saturday afternoon, I don't know if yeah. that's important enough for a lot of people, you know, I don't yeah. know. Did, did well, we make the mistake yeah. of writing? You know, there's there are certain kinds of books that when you write it, you're writing it for an audience that needs it, and the audience that needs it will 100 percent not read it. You know, yeah. B- books on books on not being a jerk as a dad. You know, like there's a defined <laughs> audience for this. They're not going to read that book. Did, did that we write true. a book for the reformed world that's based on humor and like we just that world doesn't do humor. Like we just, yeah. we, we, the audience that needs it isn't going to read it. I mean, I think that's total. I think that's huge, right there, Pipe. That's kind of what I was driving at a little bit. I think maybe we did. I think maybe we did do that in a way, you know? <laughs> dude. Nobody, nobody has misread their audience more times <laughs> in in the history of publishing than than definitely me. But but maybe the three of us together. But baby, I got, um, this is my third one with you. So just, you can count me in on that, man. I, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, I mean, the other two though, I mean, well, the, the way a prophet is, is never without honor as much as within his own tribe. I don't know if that's the that exact phrase, but we're going to go with it. We'll I, use it. Speaking of butchering scripture. Can, can I make uh, a very simple request of our listeners? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously if you haven't bought the book, we would love it. If you did that, uh, buy one for yeah. somebody who needs to have a sense of humor, but, a super small thing you can do is leave a rating and review on Amazon. You know, we, we don't, 
We joke about doing that on this podcast periodically. That's nice if you do that. But it actually mm-hmm. really helps book sales if there is a kind of a, a critical mass of ratings and reviews on Amazon. And those of you who have done it so far have written wonderful, amusing reviews, thoughtful reviews, <laughs> which we don't deserve. Lots of five-star reviews. Yeah. But that would help us a lot. So, uh, and, and also, just it would be like a little verbal warm hug for us. So we, we would appreciate that. We would appreciate it. And uh, and Ronald has gone, Pipe. He's he's left the program. He's Irish goodbye uh, yet again. 33 minutes in. He's, he's a very busy individual. You know, so. for, a, for a half Portuguese guy, he does more Irish goodbyes than anybody I know. He does. He does. He's got to leverage his half Portuguese-ness. I think that's the next move for him. Can, can I ask um, you a quick question about, you know, yeah. the, re- the reception of books? <clears throat> Well, yeah. and also the re- the change in reception of books over time. So, yeah. uh, my last my last book release book release. So I did the Ecclesiastes study. That's a different thing because it's kind of sold to yeah. churches in bulk. Uh, yeah. But the last one before that was hoping for happiness. It came out right in the middle of 2020. Um, yeah. Which was it. Not not a great time to release books. There's no speaking <laughs> right. opportunities to go along with it. Yeah. It was one where yeah. like. I knew when I was writing it, the people who need this most are going to be the least inclined to pick it up, you know, because, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but also I think, you know, I, I think it might be the best book I've written so far. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and so like, it didn't sell that well. It hasn't sold that well. Yeah. Those who have read it have given good feedback, kindness, et cetera. Yeah. How, so two questions, <clears throat> that book I found not very disappointing in its in its reception because yeah. I knew when it was coming out and I was like, well, pandemic year, uh, no yeah. chance to really do a lot of promo around it. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. Uh, the audience I'm writing for is not likely to just snap this thing up because yeah. the people yeah. who need it are manically pursuing other things. So, yeah. so I wasn't that disappointed. So how, how do you navigate the kind of expectation disappointment aspect of releasing a book? And second... How has yeah. the the feedback loop on books changed in the last... I mean, because you've been writing for like 20 years. Yeah. Uh, how, how has the feedback loop changed in terms of like gauging how a book is being responded to? Yeah, no, that's really good, those questions. I think when I first started publishing books... That would have been, I think, 2005. My first came, my first book came out, 2005, 2006. That was really under the old paradigm, right? So, like, with that one, I did a couple of, like, in-store signings. Um, I did a bunch of... This was for Facing Tyson. So, I did a bunch of appearances on, like, you know, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Sports Talk Radio. You know, whenever, whenever some, like, local radio station would request, I would do it. So... There weren't podcasts, obviously, back then. Blogs were a thing, but they they weren't taken very seriously. So it was a real kind of, you know, old paradigm experience. But now, so like my last couple books, like real books that were just like me that or that were just by me that released were these graphic novels for kids. And I did them with Harvest House. Uh, which is the publisher of our book. Um, they didn't really do any marketing. So like all those marketing meetings that we had for the Happy Rent book, I think we did zero marketing meetings for my kids' books. And it was just sort of understood that they wouldn't be doing any marketing. And they, they held up that into the bargain. And uh, as a result, the, the response that I got was everybody that read them loved them. And there was a lot of word of mouth and people were really fired up about them. But that was a relatively small group of people. So, and I, I think one other function of this that's bad is just my own cynicism. Like having been in the industry for almost twenty you? years. No, yeah, me. I know, shocker. Um, but in this case, it's working because it does act as a hedge against unrealistic expectations, right? Because I think, you know, when I was south of thirty, doing my first book, or around thirty, or however old I was back then. There was a sense that, oh my gosh, this is going to be a rocket ship and somebody's going to want to make a movie about it. And I just had all these grandiose kind of delusions of grandeur in my own mind about myself <laughs> that, you know, that were fun. Like, it's fun to feel that way. It really is kind of a blast. But 
it's also stupid because then you get <laughs> massively disappointed when the thing inevitably doesn't happen. So I would say now it's almost all about, am I satisfied with the work that I've done? And if the answer is yes, then I feel good about the book. Like I really feel good about it if I'm satisfied with what I've done. And that's to me a better, a better way to do it. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I, I, I tend to agree with you on the satisfaction with work. I think I think I've I'm you know, things tend to kind of come around in, in like circles. So I worked yeah. in publishing when I released my first book. So I had a pretty good idea of how things did and did not work. And so I I, I didn't have higher expectations than I should have. I kind of knew where I fell as an author, et cetera. Yeah. And then uh and so I, I, I wasn't I wasn't caught off guard by not New York Times bestselling, but it's it's yeah. it's gotten to the point now where I'm like, there's there's almost a kind of open handed shrugging frustration because it's like, how in the world do you let anybody know about your book? You know, publishers yeah. don't have the power to do that. They can't make a book a bestseller. Uh, yeah, there, there's a, you know, we have a podcast which is a better platform than most authors have social media doesn't sell books unless there's a critical mass of people all lauding the same book like there's a book that came right. out i don't know when it came out but in the last six months i've seen 25 people 100 people that i respect say that this book called everything sad is untrue and they're like this is mm -hmm. one of the best things i've ever read and at some point i was like i should buy this book because everybody yeah. says it's great so yeah. you, you can reach that level of acclaim but with a book like The Happy Rant, Hoping for Happiness, your uh, your graphic novels, which are they're kind of mm -hmm. like the uh, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid style books, really fun yeah. reads yeah. too. Mm -hmm. How, I just sort of go, yeah, this is out there, but like, unless somebody finds it in some dusty corner of the internet and realizes maybe this is great, <laughs> and they start to tell all their friends, then yeah. nothing's going to happen with this. Yeah, yeah, and publishers must know that. Um, <clears throat> but the more I'm involved in publishing, the more I, I very at a, at a deep level, I realize no one knows how to sell a book, right? Even publishers, you know, we sit in these marketing meetings and, and, and also you see them putting dollars and effort behind the wrong projects, right? Like, you know, I, I, I feel like there have been many times, even with books that I'm a part of where I'm like, you, you guys know, there's no way this is selling. <laughs> so get what you can out of it and and move on probably but uh yeah it's it's a funny industry in that i almost can't think of any other industry where <clears throat> people keep doing it while having no idea really how it works you know what i mean <laughs> like um we're we live in the we live in sort of the heat and humidity belt and as a result like Lawn care is a really great industry. People know exactly how it works, and they know that there's like a nine-month swath of the year where you can make a huge pile of money, like cutting people's grass and trimming their and like, hedges. And everybody's and, a repeat customer because the grass needs to be mown seven times a week. That's it. So that's an industry that like everybody involved in it has like a real strong working knowledge of how this works, what it takes... Whereas publishing, it's just like, yeah, let's do this book about fill in the blank, you know, and, and we'll make bookmarks and we'll set up a dedicated landing page for it. And it's like you're doing that knowing full well that it doesn't work. You know, that's the same well, thing you did for your last five books and it didn't work then. So you know? much of that has to do with I mean, I, I, I will go a little easy on publishers here because yeah. publishers used to be culture form like culture shapers. Or yeah, trend yeah, shapers. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a huge house, they would not put out, you know, a huge publishing house. I think it's funny that they call them houses that, uh, you know, that's so old school right. and sort of quaint. Really, they're, you know, multimedia conglomerations. But, yeah, yeah, you know, a publishing house wouldn't put out that many books. We're talking 40, 50 years ago. And yeah. when they did, they had entire avenues of of promotion we can get this in the front of bookshops all over the country there was thousands of bookstores and and the, the publishers owned that conduit they could create yeah a novelty you know around yeah. a book about around a book release that changed in the in with the, the dawning of the internet the other thing that has changed with the dawning of the internet is the pace of ideas so unless yeah. a publisher can put out a book in 72 hours 
they they can't keep up with what people are interested in. And so publishers have not, and I don't know how anybody would, so again, this is not a knock on them, been able to figure out, like, what is a book that's going to matter in nine months when this is released? Or 18 months from the time we sign the contract. Because we sign the contract, then there's nine or ten months of writing, then there's nine or ten months of production, which is absurd, but that's where we're at. Yeah, And the answer is, I don't know. Good, you know, yeah. a memoir or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all of that is the case. The only thing that stands out among... There, there are two ways to sell books that I can see. One is mm-hmm. to sell books, which means be mm-hmm. John Grisham, be David Baldacci, be, uh, right. I don't know, pick, pick your favorite, Rachel, Rachel Hollis. Like, having it... Yeah. They sell books because they have sold books. Like there's yeah, just there's just so a, there's a critical master on that. The other is to have a there's sort of a, a virality to your fandom. People read mm-hmm. it and they cannot help but talk about it. Mm. And uh, yeah, which is different than people reading it and liking it because. Yeah. Yeah. That, and so, you know, you saw that. I think the first time I was aware of that was uh, the help. Um, yeah. Was it named Catherine Stockett, something like that. Yeah, it was a it was a debut novel that they didn't do a big print run on, but it got into like the book club scene and yeah. blew up, and then yeah. became a film and all this. And same yeah. thing with like this. Everything sad is untrue. It's kind of going the same route. And you mm-hmm. know where the crawdads sing is another one that was like really. I mean, it's a yeah. great novel, but like it has it has something like a hundred thousand ratings on Amazon. That's crazy, bonkers. So like the vibe. Yeah. Neither of those two things are controllable by the author or the publisher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it, that, and that's kind of where we, like, say you're asking, how is our book doing? It's like, well, not that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> you know, and, um, and I don't, you know, and you can't generate yeah. that. Well, we can ask all of our listeners to like buy it, rate it, review yeah. it, talk to friends, what's that, et cetera. But like, you know what is that going to be? Honestly, move? the closest the closest I've gotten to that was when Why We're Not Emergent came out, which was oh six or oh seven, and Moody got it included in like the gift bags at Together for the Gospel. So I don't know how many people went to Together for the Gospel that year. I don't know what like a thousand pastors or maybe five thousand. I, I yeah, no it was probably between two were. and five at that point. Yeah, so let's say three thousand pastors got it for free in their in their book bag, and I remember thinking when they did that, "Wow, you're going to give away three thousand free copies of this? Is that smart? You know, like those people might potentially have bought it, but it ended up being the smartest thing because all those people. This was at the height of the blogosphere when every pastor on earth had like, you know, the books and coffee blog with a banner image of a steaming cup of coffee next to a pile of books, right? Every pastor had that in 2007. And so they all went home from Together for the Gospel with their little bag of free books and read it and blogged about it. And that ended up being the best possible piece of marketing that we could have gotten. So ever since then, I've been I've been sort of not aggressive because I'm never aggressive with a publisher, but I've, I've kind of been like, Huh, I wonder if we could get the graphic novels like given out at like a mom conference or you know some creative thing like that and and you know it never really has happened since but um but that seemed to work well. <clears throat> but yeah, even that and this is a little industry deep dive, the marketing budgets mm-hmm. for books are crap now. Uh yeah. you know, yeah. in 2006 your your book, you know, I bet they anticipated it selling five to ten thousand copies. I'm I'm guessing. I, I you know yeah. I don't know what the advance was, but I'm guessing that those two numbers yeah. correspond pretty well. Um, yep. And then and then that means the marketing budget for at that point was probably ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and then maybe maybe they they made an exception to give it away, but like fifteen thousand dollars in two thousand six was a measurable amount of, amount of money. You could do a decent amount of of uh advertisements and things like that pr was a thing that was a lot bigger then in terms of interviews yeah. now yep. the marketing budgets haven't changed so yeah you know a ten thousand dollar marketing budget now is one ad which doesn't yeah. move any books or right. the publishers can't afford to give away five six thousand copies of a book because yeah 
because that's you know the paper's expensive paper's expensive you know that that's, yeah. if they gave away 5000 copies that's probably 10 to 15000 dollars and so like, yeah. even that reality has shifted I, I, was t- I was telling my wife the other day just kind of being grumpy about marketing budgets and our book and i just said you know I said, I'm guessing their marketing budget for our book was like eight to 10 grand. And honestly, they should have just split it between the three of us because we do all the marketing for it. And uh, Dude, they should have, you know, yeah, that would have been great. And I, 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 <laughs> I kind of wish publishers would do that. They're like, how about we don't promote your book at all, but we take the money we would have put into it and we give it to you in your advance. Yeah. That'd be that, nice. And I'm like, all right, well, it, it does not going to cost them anymore. It's less work for them. And I'm going to be doing all the work right. anyway. So yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great idea. Um, yeah, the business has really changed. And I'm I'm really glad I caught the tail end of like the kind of cool old school publishing paradigm with like radio shows and in stores and stuff like that. I'm glad I got to like experience that because it's the kind of thing I see it in movies and I'm like, ah, oh, that looks romantic. That looks cool. It's more than just like, hey, it's Tuesday. Craft a tweet about your book again, you know, um, which isn't nearly as sexy and romantic well, yeah but. and like and it, and it gets tiresome like every probably three four times a week i think what could i post about our book to kind of keep it in keep it in the yeah the, the eye of people who follow me and the answer is i don't know i've run out mm-hmm. of stuff like yeah i, I can't keep saying hey this, exists. Page, hey this exists you know? yeah dude you know what you ought to do you ought to you ought to take a snapshot of like the thing where i go like a paragraph and a half on john wayne and why he's great and put that out that would that would probably rile a bunch of people up yeah and if you had twitter i would totally do that and tag you be like look what ted wrote but instead i have (laughs) to deal with all the we see your silence or you know you that's true don't do that um yeah never mind i take that back yeah Um, i'm not i'm not taking your heat that's on you (laughs) exactly that's the worst of all worlds it's like it's not even my own heat you know um pipe we have uh, we've done what we always do on this program in that we've wandered to and fro throughout some topics and then ended up complaining about publishing, which uh, is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.